0: All right, all right, all right. How's everybody doing? Man, we've already had a service this morning, haven't we? And uh, you know, it's awesome seeing the baptisms. And just to let you know, at the end of the first service this morning, we had a um, lady who has been coming for a little while and uh, came up along with a friend and said she wanted, she was ready to place her faith in Christ. And then so she did that. So we had somebody who entered into new life, as long as celebrating new life here. I mean, so this is why we do what we do. Yeah, go ahead and clap on that. All right, usually I like to say a few things and sort of ease into stuff, but, you know, we're going to have to dive right on in so, you know, so we get out before 1 o'clock. Yes. yes. All right, just kidding. You know, we're not, we're not going to be, anyway. But uh, let's go ahead and pray. And then, uh, and then we'll read, and we'll jump into the message. Father, we thank you this morning, Father, just for the celebration of your grace. God, I, I just, I, I thank you, Lord God, for your sons and your daughters who are gathered here. We thank you how you opened up our eyes by your Spirit to see the reality of what Christ has done for us. The Father, God, that we came to that moment in time where we saw ourselves in light of who he is and father became convinced of the reality of his death the shedding of his blood for the remission of our sins that how you took our sins and you poured it out on him that we could become your sons and your daughters and you removed our sins as far as the east is from the west the bible says lord that you cleanse us and you make us whiter than snow so, Father, we thank you for the work of your spirit in our lives. We thank you for the work that you're doing among us. Father, we pray now that as we look into your word this morning, Lord God, that you will just by your spirit open up our hearts. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you will help me to communicate in a, in a manner that is clear, that, Lord God, that you would anoint me to communicate exactly what you would want to communicate, nothing more, nothing less. Father, we love you, and we thank you, and it's in Christ's time that we pray. Amen. All right, so we are continuing uh, a series in Colossians, and we're going to be, our, our uh, passage for this morning actually starts in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through the first verse of chapter 4. Uh, but what I'm going to do, uh, we're going to read that, but I want to back up the verse 12, and the reason why I want to back up to verse 12 and lead in with that is because um, as Pastor Brandon, as we have been going through Colossians, one of the things I've appreciated about how he has been uh, teaching us through this book is that with every message reminding us about the why, reminding us that the book of Colossians, Paul, Paul's main thing is wanting to make sure that the, Colossians belie- uh, that the Colossian believers are rooted and grounded in the fullness and in the grace of Christ. That Christ is all, uh, that he is all supreme, he is all sufficient. Our identity needs to be rooted in him. That uh, our satisfaction is found in him and in him alone. And uh, so I appreciate that because as we um, are going into verses 18 uh, through the first verse of chapter 4, things are, are Paul is going to begin to sort of get into our, kitchen, as they used to say back in the day. Uh, Paul's going to be dabbling into our business just a little bit. And uh, so the thing is, is to remember as, as we get into this, is that when we are looking at the verses we're going to look at, it's set within this larger context, once again, of God's grace, Christ's sufficiency, and, uh, and the fact that we are satisfied with Totally in Him, so I'm going to read starting in verse 12, and then we're going to read through the first verse of chapter 4, and then uh, and then we'll we'll jump on in. Paul writes. He says, "Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you all must." so you also must forgive. Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I'm gonna gonna go ahead and read that again because we don't wanna blow past that. The Bible says that God is love, right? And so love binds everything together. Everything we're gonna talk about this morning, everything that we've been talking about, it is all saturated in the fact that God is love. So Paul says, above all, These things put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were indeed called into one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns of spiritual songs with uh, with thankfulness in your hearts. And in whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus given thanks to god the father through him therefore is implied wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the lord yeah you can see why i didn't want to start right there <laughs> Because if I start right there, I lose half, I, I just lose half of you right away. Why, you know? And so we want to make sure that we have the context, all right? And so the context of the book of Colossians is, is, a, is a whole thing when we think about what Jesus has done. What, what is the ultimate thing that Jesus did? Jesus, he is the creator of all things. The Bible says he is the sustainer of all things, that by him and through him, all things were made and all things are held together by him. But in order to save you and I, who were broken through our sin, our selfishness, and our rebellion, what did the king of creation do? He submitted himself to be clothed. Don't don't miss that. He submitted himself to be clothed in human flesh, the ultimate humility. I mean, think about it. He is righteousness. He is holiness. He is glorious. He is the king of creation, yet he wraps himself in human flesh. It is the ultimate act of submission and humility. And because of that, Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond sermons, obey everything, those that are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Once again, tying us back to the why. Work as for the Lord, not for men. Knowing that it is from the Lord that you will receive your inheritance and your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. So, um, as we jump into this, and as we begin to look at and what we're going to do is, is focus in on, ver- uh, on, on the verses, starting in, in verse 18. And one of the things I, uh, that I want to do here in this first part of this message is I, I want to I set up things from a principled standpoint and what i mean by that is is this is that there are principles, right, in, in God's words that we live by. If something is a principle, what that means is, is that it is, it is always applicable, and it's, a, it's applicable across time. It's applicable no matter who we are. It's applicable no matter uh, what stage of life you're in, what social status you have. A principle is, uh, is always true. So, for instance, one of the basic principles of, of, of God's word is this. Matthew chapter 6 says this, seek first right? The kingdom of God and everything else shall be added. That's a, that's a basic principle. We seek Christ first. We seek the kingdom of God first, and then everything else in life flows out of that. Paul in Colossians is really nailing that, that mindset. Pastor Brandon called it kingdom down living. Uh, I like that term, kingdom down living. It reminds me of the Lord's prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth. How? As it is in heaven. So what we what we see here is this is that the heavenly reality is reality. We seek first the kingdom of God because the kingdom reality is reality. The heavenly reality is reality. And the heaven reality invades or moves into the earthly reality. Now, we know that the, the, the material things, the, the, what we see, what we can hear, what we can taste, what we can touch, what we can feel, material, the materiality is, is, the, is the reality that we, that we live in. But we also know from the scripture that the materiality is, it's corrupted. It's stained and it's broken by sin, right? I don't really need to go into a lot of detail. Uh, I think everybody will agree. If you take a look around at the world around us, There's all sorts of brokenness in the world. Something has gone horribly wrong. And what's gone horribly wrong is sin. And sin is responsible for all of the brokenness that we see around us, whether that's war, sickness, disease, uh, uh, whether that's people unable to to get along, divorce, uh, selfishness, pride, uh, selfish ambition that the Bible says leads to every evil work. Our world is defined by the selfishness of man. So, We live as kingdom people when you place your faith and your trust in what Christ has done. And we talked about this uh, uh, about a month ago. When you place your faith and trust in what Jesus has done, what he does is that he extracts you out of the domain of darkness and he transfers you into the kingdom of his dear son. So when that lady at the end of the first service came and said a simple prayer to place her faith and her trust in Jesus at that moment in time. As soon as she said, Jesus, you're my Lord. Thank you for being my savior. She was delivered from the domain of darkness and she was born anew in the kingdom of light. She received at that time what the Bible calls a divine nature. Second Peter talks about this in uh, Second Peter chapter one. It says this, that God's divine power has granted to us All things that pertain to life and godliness through how the knowledge of him who has called us into his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may be uh, become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. And so my point that I want to make about all that is that as soon as we are delivered out of darkness and we are delivered into the kingdom of the Son, God, by the Holy Spirit, we we are born anew. We are born, the Bible says, of incorruptible seed of the divine nature. And then what we do from that point forward is that by the grace, by grace, we are saved. By grace, we then spend the rest of our lives unpacking what this divine nature looks like. We spend the rest of our lives being transformed by the grace of God that we are then able to image his character to those who are around us so that they may see, hear, and experience the grace of God in the same way that we've uh, tasted it. This is what kingdom living is. It's kingdom living, it's kingdom down living, or what I like to call a redemptive living. And we think about the things of the kingdom, then one of the things we also have to understand is this, is that God has then designed us to live in a certain way. It's an alignment of sorts. So years ago, uh, way back when, when I was in my early 30s, I ruptured a disc in my lower back. So uh, one night, I was taking a shower, and I sneezed. (laughs) Okay, look, I just challenge you, but do this at your own risk. The next time you need to sneeze, try stifling stifling it and see where all that energy goes, (laughs) right to your lower back. All right, that was the sneeze that broke Charles's back. But leading up to that, for, for years, what had happened was is that there was, uh, I, I, uh, years before that, I remember, I was, uh, uh, I was actually doing some ironing, godly men iron. Um, I was doing some ironing, and my, and my son came in. He was about three or four at the time, and so he wanted me to pick him up. And instead of turning towards him, you know, and bending down and engaging the low back and picking him up, I bent sort of weird and got this odd angle, and when I picked them up, I felt my back just immediately just cramp up, right? Just threw my back out. And so my, my, my lower back knotted up, you know, put ice on it, it took several days. You know, I felt like I was rocking crooked and, and all that. It took several days to, to get it right. But then after that, over the uh, course of the next several years, what, um, what I began to notice is that pain began to shoot down from my back, down my right side, burned down my ha- hamstring, and then I felt like I had a hot poker, like just jam, you know, jamming into my into my calf. And it was like that for for for, uh, for months. I went to a couple of uh, uh, doctors and so forth. They're trying to work on it and, and these kinds of things. And before we could get it healed, you know, the disc blew. And what I find out after getting the MRI on the blown disc um, is, you know, what the doctor began to 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 tell me was, well, your disc was bulging. It was. It was out of alignment, And because your disc was out of alignment, that's why you were having all that pain. And then finally, you know, you had uh, the sneeze, and uh, I mean, literally, I never felt so much pain in all my life. I felt like somebody had taken a sledgehammer and just like, pounded my my disc. If you want a real good picture of what a a, disc rupture is like, this is what I encourage you to do. After church, go over to Krispy Kreme, go get you a jelly donut. All right, put it on the floor, and then just take your foot and go. Because <laughs> you know what's going to happen? All that jelly is just going to ooze on out. And so when the doctor, when the neurologist put my MRI up on, the, uh, up, up, up on the screen for me to see, that's exactly what my disc looked like. It looked like a flattened jelly donut with all of the material on the inside uh, out, out there, and that's, that's what was causing me pain. But God was faithful. I got some really good drugs, that dealt with my uh, pain, uh, the acute pain, and I had relief. By the time I actually got to the MRI, I was relatively pain-free, except for some fading stuff up and down my leg, so I didn't need surgery. And over time, things healed. Five years later, I'm at my mother-in-law's. I'm brushing my teeth, <laughs> put the toothbrush down, bend over to just swish some water in my mouth. And as soon as I bend over, I feel in here, my disc, once again, uh, uh, another disc rupture. But all that, the point being is, is that the, the, the spine was out of alignment causing this pressure. See, when we are in the kingdom of God, and this is where Paul is going, when he gets to wives submit to your husbands, Paul has already spent three and a half whole chapters talking about Context: Talking about the why. Why do we do stuff? Why? Uh, why do we need to put on this new nature? And 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 then why is it wives submit to your husbands? Why husbands love your wife? Why children obey your parents? Why bond servants? Why? Mat? Why all this stuff? All of it is rooted in a uh, uh, in the fact that in the kingdom of God there's a certain way of living, and that's what we're going to explore right now. So. Kingdom living consists, then, of responsibilities and rhythms. Responsibilities, God gives us all responsibilities that are inherent. In other words, uh, you know, these are just responsibilities that are yours and mine because we're children of God. If you're married, you have a responsibility to your spouse. If you have children, you have a responsibility to your, uh, uh, to your child. If you have a job, you have a responsibility to your coworkers and to your employer. These are inherent responsibilities that God gives to us all. The good news is, is that since God gives them, then it is absolutely his will that these different responsibilities lead to our flourishing and to the flourishing of those around us. So rhythms then, so those are our responsibilities. Kingdom rhythms then are how we prioritize, how we live out these responsibilities. There's a priority to these responsibilities. All of them, all of them are important But what I'm going to propose to you is that there's an order. We see this uh, reflected in the scripture in Matthew chapter 23, where uh, we have the recording of a lawyer coming to talk to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, hey, what is the uh, most critical, most important commandment of them all? So Jesus answers and he says, well, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first commandment and greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. In other words, the second one is important. It's not unimportant, because it's second. It's important, but it's second. There's a first and there's a second, so there's a priority. There's, there's, there's an alignment, if you will. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So my point being is this, is that the, in the kingdom of God, there is a way of living. There's kingdom down living, and that kingdom down living has priorities. So here in the great commandment, what Jesus is telling us is that the greatest thing that we can do, our greatest responsibility, is to love God with all of our heart all of our mind and all of our soul, everything, that's kingdom first living. Everything that we do, everything that we are, how we relate to people, how I relate to my wife, how I relate to my neighbors, how uh, uh, the, who I am in, in, in my being flows out of the fact that I need to love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my being, all my strength. In other words, the number one priority that I have in my life is to cultivate deep communion with Jesus. If I'm not cultivating deep communion with Jesus, if, I, if, if at some point in time I allow my faith to just to fall into religion, of checking off spiritual boxes, showing up where I'm expected to be, but there's no life in it, if I'm not cultivating communion with the Lord, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but if I'm not cultivating communion with the Lord, then I will go about how I relate to my wife through self. I will order my family through the lens of of self. So Jesus says that the first and greatest command is to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it. In other words, the second commandment derives its validity through me observing the first one. So the second one finds its legitimacy in the first one being recognized. So Paul has outlined through chapters one, two, and three this whole dynamic. Because he's focusing in on the purpose, uh, on the person uh, uh, of Christ and the purpose of Christ, and so he talks about the supremacy of Christ over all things and how he's reconciled us. He talks about the sufficiency of Christ and how in Him and in Christ alone that we are brought to fullness. That we can only find our complete satisfaction when we are pursuing Jesus. In chapter three, he talks about how we begin to live of those live as those who've been made alive. Through Christ, because I've trusted in Jesus, because I have, uh, by His grace, been saved and placed faith in Him. Grace, His grace, and His Spirit empowers me then to live into the new nature that He has given me. It's a, even so I'm saved by grace, I'm justified by grace, and I'm sanctified by grace. It's all by the work and the power of the Spirit. Therefore, I can be clothed, and you can be clothed in His character. So Paul says, "Put on." compassion put on kindness put on humility and gentleness and the reality is is that these things reside in that divine nature that incorruptible seed that the lord placed on the inside of you when you were born again and so really what we're doing is as we commune with the lord we are being transformed by his presence and his character the compassion kindness humility and gentleness and patience and the ability to forgive begin to change our lives so then in chapter 3, verses 17, uh, 15 through 17, we, uh, as we have already read, Paul then says this. He says, because Christ has changed your life by His grace because He's all sufficient and because He is supreme. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through Him. In other words, we could read this passage like this. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. Therefore, wives and husbands, children and fathers, bondservants and masters. In other words, everything that we're going to talk about as it relates to marriage, family, and work flows out of letting the peace of Christ rule in my heart rich. Allowing the, the grace of Christ, the gospel of Christ, to dwell, to dwell richly on the inside of me. So here are our kingdom priorities. I'm just going to outline them. And what I'm submitting to you is this, is that these are kingdom priorities. These are the principles. These are basic, fundamental building blocks of living a kingdom-first, kingdom-down life. And the first one of those principles is this. As I already mentioned, it's cultivating communion with Christ, making sure that my identity stays rooted in him, that my belonging is totally in him, and that I realize that my fullness is in him. I don't need money. I don't need a job. I don't need my wife to completely, I am totally full and satisfied and made whole by Jesus. Colossians tells us that we are complete in him. So my number one priority that that governs everything, that binds it all together, is me cultivating the love of Christ in my heart. The second kingdom principle is this, cultivating deep oneness in my marriage. Cultivating deep oneness in my marriage. So first first priority, cultivating communion with Jesus. Second priority, cultivating deep oneness in my marriage. My marriage, uh, my, my, my wife and I walking together towards Jesus to mirror the unity of the Trinity so that our marriage and our family becomes an example of Christ's love for people. The third priority is this, is cultivating a culture of faith in my family. That my family and my household is a a culture where there's encouragement and there's people, there's discipleship. We're making disciples and we're being disciples. And then the fourth priority is cultivating my calling or cultivating my work as mission. Understanding that what God has me doing for uh, what God has me doing in my vocation or in my work, that it is full of purpose. that, That it is not just work, it's not just a job, but God has endowed it and anointed it as calling and he wants to use it redemptively. And here's the thing about all of these kingdom priorities. So we know this. Because the world is broken, Jesus says, go into all the world, what? And make disciples of all nations. So we understand that, going in all the world, that the, uh, that the Father wants the gospel to go across the globe, right? To, 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 to fill our city. We're believing for a gospel movement in our city. We want to see the gospel spread across the, strait, the the state and the country. You understand, we send missionaries overseas. Why? So that the gospel travels around the globe. But there's another way that the Lord wants the uh, gospel to travel that has to do with the world. That word world in the Greek also means world systems. It means that the gospel needs to go into every social structure. It needs to find its way into every nook and cranny and be preached to every inch of culture. So we see this, uh, we see then that with these priorities, oneness in our marriage through oneness and through deep oneness in marriage god god's gospel goes out to communities goes out to our neighborhood through the witness and the testimony of my marriage and of my family and then through my work we are able to hit all the different aspects of culture and we'll talk about that here in a minute but the first priority is this cultivating communion with christ Communion means the sharing or the exchange of intimate thoughts and feelings. Communion starts with our intentional devotion in the word of God and prayer. So all through chapter 1 of Colossians, Paul is saying, be filled with the knowledge of his will. Be filled with all knowledge and spiritual wisdom. Be increasing in the knowledge of God. And these things, man, I think about that. And how do we do that? We do that by spending time in God's word. Pastor Matt already talked about this during, during the announcements, but we, it, it's the aspect of I, I, I cultivate communion with Christ, understanding that every time I open up his word and every time I begin to read it or I begin to meditate on it or I begin to pray through it, that even if I don't feel a thing, the moment I open up this book and I come before the Lord and I say, I'm going to take... This 15 minutes, or this half hour, or however long you want to take, but when I when I set away, when I set aside my schedule, my agenda, when I set aside my my uh, uh, my plans, and I say, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm giving you my full attention because I just want to know you, I want to love you, and when I open up this word, as soon as I incline my heart to know Jesus this turns, this goes from just being a book with typeset on a page to being the God-breathed word illuminated by the Holy Spirit to be revelation into my heart. And I don't know how God does it. It's a work of the Spirit. But as I'm reading it, I'm being changed. As I'm reading it, I'm being clothed in kindness. As I read it, I'm things are being love is entering into my heart It's it doesn't matter if I feel anything it's the intentionality and look I'm going to say this look man I I I believe in podcasts and, and all these kinds of things but I'm talking about setting that time aside to intentionally block everything out and focus on the word of God this it's not communion if I, my only time of, inter, of interacting with God's Word is when I throw it on, you know, the, the Bible app as I'm rushing to my next appointment, that's good. It's supplementary, but it's good. But if we want the peace of Christ to dwell richly in our hearts, we're going to have to be intentional about cultivating a place of communion to be with God and his word. Paul goes on to say, he says this, verse 11 of chapter one, be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance, patience, and joy. Give thanks to the Father. Continue in the hope of the gospel. Be strengthened with power. How many of y'all need power? You know, it's like, okay, to, to me, this gets a little more, a little more mystical and look, and, and as I talk about this, you know, I, and, and, you know, in my own devotional life, I'm not I'm not saying this as hey, look at me or whatever. I'm just telling you what what I do. There are times, you know, I I, I have my time, and my reading that I'm doing in the Word, and then and then I close it, and then I then I'll just sit there, just silent before the Lord. And in my mind, I'm picturing I'm just I'm just I'm just in His presence. I remember uh, my dad passed some 12 years ago, but uh, especially in, in, uh, after I got married and had kids, we would go to see, see my dad. Uh, the one thing I loved was just being able to sit at the kitchen table with my dad, drinking a cup of coffee, and just being there. We would talk, but then sometimes we're just there. And it would bring life to my soul. So sometimes you just got to be with God you got to cultivate that intimacy because from cultivating that intimacy everything else everything else flows out of this. And so then the second so that's the first and greatest priority. The second priority is marriage. Would you agree with that? I mean, when we th- we're talking about the things that we're talking about, right? I mean, we can all understand how, you know, well, if I'm not cultivating communion with the Lord, how that impacts my marriage, my family, and my work. But, you know, we talk about marriage and, and kids and work and these kinds of things. It's, e- it's easy in life for these things to get, to get jumbled up. But I think we can all understand that if we uh, take our children and we make them the second priority, you're just asking for trouble. If I'm not cultivating deep oneness in my marriage with my wife, that impacts my children. If uh, things are out of sync with Angie and I, it's hard for me to really move out and function in my work. All right? So the Lord wants us to cultivate deep oneness in our marriage. He says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. What is marriage? Marriage is a covenant. It's a spiritual and legal commitment between a man and a woman to completely share their whole lives with each other exclusively until death do us part. Paul in Ephesians chapter five, verse 31 says this, therefore a man, okay, all you men, listen up. (laughs) Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. In other words, don't be a mama's boy. Anyway, therefore a man should leave his father and his mother and cleave and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one, one flesh. Paul says this mystery is profound, so he calls marriage a mystery. Why? Well, this mystery is profound because, and what I'm saying is that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, what we get from this is this, is that marriage is an earthly example of the sacrificial, redeeming love of Jesus for his people. The family, anchored by a vibrant marriage that is rooted in Christ, are the building blocks of the kingdom, and also the family then becomes a missional community to neighborhoods. So as I said earlier, non-Christians should be able to observe a Christian marriage, one that is soaked in the communion of the Father and see Jesus's redemptive work at play as an example by how the husband and the wife are relating to one another. So I'd like to say that this point of deep oneness is something I came up with. Is actually, I rooked it from Tim Keller. Purpose of marriage, Tim Keller says, is deep oneness cultivated from this, from journeying together towards the glory of God. He says your spouse has to be your best friend or you don't have, have a marriage. And the way that marriage works, he says, is that this deep oneness is cultivated by mutual, by uh, uh, the husband and wife being on a mutual journey towards the same horizon. And the common horizon is the the glory of God. In other words, my wife and I, our common passion since the day that we said I do, and actually before that, our common passion was the glory of God. It was the aspect that we believed that God brought us together so that we could pursue God's glory together. And so we entered in, we had a common horizon, a common vision for our relationship. And because of that, we then also began to develop a common journey. And what that common journey then looks like is this. With the glory of God in view, the common journey then is a the husband and the wife looking at one another with the ability to go beyond just the, to see beyond the flesh, to be able to see the beauty that God is bringing about in their spouse's life. In other words, when I look at my wife, and my wife looks at me, I, 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 God, I, I believe this. When God gives you a responsibility, he gives you the grace and the anointing to fulfill the responsibility. So I believe that God gives me an anointing to be a husband to Angie, which then allows me to be able to see Angie in ways that you all never could. Why? Because I'm the one married to her. And because I'm married to her and she's married to me, what we're able to do is this. God gives us an anointing to see beyond our weaknesses, our imperfections, our dependencies, and see the flashes of God's glory that are being churned up on the inside of us. So therefore, we lift up, we sacrifice, we hold each other up in prayer, we, 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 we cultivate thanksgiving, we confront one another, we teach one another, we rebuke one another, we hug it out. Sometimes I than a hug. Anyway, we hug it out. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't. I couldn't let that one go. And we continually push one another towards Jesus. Come on, say amen. All right. Everybody's ready to go home now. Uh, your vehicles. Our marriage then becomes a, a, a vehicle for redemption. My point, the point being is this. Is cultivating deep oneness is based on a marriage having a common vision and a common horizon. And when we understand that marriage is to reflect the work, the redeeming work of Christ. So when I understand that, my Savior submitted to be wrapped in human flesh. When he says, wives, submit to your husband, all he is saying is, play your role in mirroring the image of Jesus. And then he tells the husband, love your wife even as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He sacrificed. He crawled up on the cross. Congratulations, husbands. There's a cross go get up on there. In other words, we sacrificially love our spouse. And why do I sacrificially love my spouse? And the only reason why I have the grace to be able to do that is because what Christ has done, that's my role in imaging Jesus through my marriage. Keller goes on to say that self-centeredness is the main enemy of marriage. He defines submission as the ability to give yourself to another, to give up your rights, to serve another's interest ahead of your own, to submit your own concerns for the good of another, to defer your desires, to help another reach their desires. This is what covenant marriage looks like. It's me pursuing the interests of my wife and trusting that she has mine in in view as well. A great marriage are two people who see their self-centeredness as the main problem in their relationship. So how do I crucify self-centeredness in my life? I crucify self-centeredness in my marriage by serving my wife through sacrifice. How does my wife crucify selfishness in our relationship? She does that by respecting me, by loving me, by giving me, by affirming me, encouraging me. So, That's cultivating deep oneness. As we do that, then we begin to cultivate faith in our families. And so, obviously, cultivating faith in a a family starts with the husband and the wife. With the husband and the wife uh, 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 walking in a healthy relationship together. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here talking about children, obey your parents. Because I'm just going to say simply, children, obey your parents. Why? Because it's going to go better for you. it's going to go better for you. <laughs> but then it says this. It says, fathers, don't provoke. In other words, fathers, don't, don't stir up contention and strife. Fathers, you know, it says fathers, of course. You know, it stresses fathers not because uh, moms don't have a role. It's he, I believe Paul is stressing fathers here because fathers, are the, are honestly, are the ones that get most distracted by other stuff, by doing things. And so Paul is saying, fathers, don't provoke. Don't stir contention and strife with your children, but cultivate a culture of faith in the family. It starts with you. By being the head of the house means being the spiritual leader of your house. In other words, fathers, we should be leading out to our children so that they can see what following Jesus looks like. We should be setting the example for communion, to devotion in the word, prayer and worship, and obedience and engagement with God's people. The emphasis is on the, on the, uh, is, is on the father to lead these things to help, uh, uh, to help create that culture. And so the question I ask of myself and I want to ask all you fathers is this, what is it that you want your kids to see in you? Because kids mirror back the culture of the home that we set. So what is it that you want your children to see in you and what do you want your kids to experience with you? What example do you want to set? What you set, but then also how do you, how do your kids feel your presence? Do you prioritize having FaceTime with them? And then the third calling or the uh, or the fourth priority is cultivating mission as work. Now, in verse 22 it says, "Bond servants, obey everything and obey in everything those who are your earthly masters." not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So we get into this part of the scripture and it says bondservants servants and masters. And we're like, what? We got no bond servants in here? Now look, we don't have time unless you want to be here till one for us to break down about the, the culture that Paul's talking to where he's having to address bond servants and slaves and all that, right? Now, the good news for you is this, is that back on August 5th, 2018, Pastor Brandon preached on this verse. So if you want a very uh, uh, incredible download about the culture of, uh, of Rome at this time when Paul was writing to the Colossians and what a bond server was and all that, I refer you to that message. Suffice it to say is this though, is that Paul in no way endorses abuse forced labor, or subjugation of people, all right? Um, uh, So you're going to have to take my word for it if you want to have lunch. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so for our, uh, uh, so I do refer you to that message, but um, for our uh, purposes, though, is this. When Paul says, when he says bond servants or people serving, think about employees, when he says "masters," think about those who are in a position of uh, being a supervisor, a director, maybe you know uh, a chief executive officer, you know a, a business owner, no matter how large or how small. So we're talking about how is it that we show up in our work. So Paul says this. He says when you are working. Do this, in whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord. And so the word calling in the scripture literally means vocation. And so earlier I said by through uh, godly marriages and families, we, that's part of God's plan for reaching neighborhoods. But how do we hit the different stratas of culture? How do we hit the different facets of, uh, of, of the society that we live in? This is how. Each and every day when, uh, when you go off to work, when members of Redemption Hill or the church at large in Winston-Salem are going off to work, we have God's people who work in healthcare, who work in education, who work in city and county government, who work in manufacturing, who work in construction, who work in corporate America, who work for banks and businesses, who work in media, who work in tech, and I could go on and on and on. And what I'm saying is this, is that every time we uh, uh, go out of our front door, jump in a car, and go to work, God's people are being sent on mission into every aspect of our culture. So then the question then becomes, well, how am I approaching culture? How am I showing up? And I'll just say this real quick, and I'm going to close. When we show up for work, are we adding value? In other words, are those you work with uh, are those you work with or work for better off because you showed up? You add value by relating and working through Christ-like character, remembering that we serve the Lord. So therefore, what does that Christ-like character look like? Am I on time? Am I dependable? Am I humble as I relate to people? Am I kind? Am I moving out in love? Am I a team player? Do I sacrifice for the greater good? Do I do my work with excellence? Am I being faithful with the responsibilities that God has placed in my hands, trusting him for the reward? See, I should be seeking the flourishing of those that I work with and also the company that I work for. You should be seeking the flourishing of those around you and for the people who employ you. And when we do that, the gospel is being demonstrated and doors are open for the gospel to be preached. So church, as we close, I want to ask you, as we go to communion here in a minute, as you take the communion elements, if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, just take a moment and just come before the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, do I need an adjustment? Are my priorities aligned? And look there's there's always grace right the the hard thing about preaching messages like this is you know you talk about priority 1 priority 2 priority 3 priority 4 and it makes it seem like life exists in these nice clear boxes with fine lines between them when we know reality means that there's overlap Sometimes there's, there's a, I remember one time uh, uh, Angie and I, uh, was working, I used to work in sales and I was offered a promotion and I knew that promotion meant that I was going to be working 65, 70 hour weeks. And we prayed about, it, and we felt like the Lord uh, uh, wanted us to take that promotion, even though it was going to mean a lot of sacrifice on our family, because in getting that experience would possibly set up something else. So we set it up for a season. And we say that we're going to do this, you know, for for a season. We'll do this for a year, and then after that, we'll 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 see what we'll see what opens up. So I understand. I, I want to make sure that there's all grace in all this, right? There's no condemnation. The problem isn't when you know sometimes you have to just sort of roll up your sleeves and get stuff done. That's not the problem. The problem is is that when that becomes a lifestyle, when by my, my sheer unavailability, I'm not there to be. husband I need to be or the father that I need to be. So ask the Lord, do I need an alignment? Because the last thing we want to have happen is have a rupture in family, to have a rupture in our relationship with Jesus. Let's pray.